Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So you're a data scientist. I am, yeah. What do you actually do every day? Oh, that's such a good question. And I think you shouldn't just ask me, but instead we should talk about a really good article that's based off of interviews with 35 other data scientists and some summaries from uh, what they found. That sounds good. You're listening to Linear Digressions. So this is an article that was in the Harvard Business Review recently by an author named Hugo Bown Anderson, who works at Data Camp, if you're familiar with that. Um, sounds like he also has a podcast about data science, so you should check that out. What? Well, really? Yeah, yeah. It was called Data Framed, I think. Uh, we'll have a link to the HBR article, and then you can find it down in the in the little byline at the bottom. Anyway, Very so cool. uh, yeah, so it sounds like he's you know a data scientist, but who's done a lot of interviews recently with data scientists who are working in the field. And the general idea, I think, I think this is interesting and important. Actually, is trying to get a better sense of what data scientists actually do. And I don't necessarily just mean that in the sense that they clean a lot of data and they spend a surprisingly small amount of time building models, mm. although that's true. Um, but I think calling out some of the uh, some of the things that are happening as the field is maturing. Hmm. Yeah, this is th- this will be interesting. Um, I know that people think of artificial intelligence, machine learning, data science, all of these terms kind of get lobbed into the same one bucket and uh i imagine you're not programming sentient machines that will soon take over the world every day so well we will get to that actually yeah i think that's a good setup do you actually have something (laughs) oh no (laughs) no i do not have a sentient machine that's going to take over the world if i did i wouldn't tell you that would (laughs) all right fair enough I, I just I feel like that's the way to that that would be the way to hook our listeners. Well, okay, so you know what? Actually, we should just go straight into this because okay. this is sort of their second sub bullet, which is a little bit of exasperation. I think reading between the lines with some of the AI talk and the buzzwords and the like, uh-huh. cognitive this and the you know, super intelligent robots that are going to take over the world. There's there's really cool stuff that's happening in machine learning and data science, but there's also, it's a field that has a lot of hype. And so I think that actually I, is, yeah. uh, I think that is worth, worth saying because there's a lot of work that's, I mean, somewhat less glamorous to use a, maybe a term that's a little more loaded than I mean it to, but there's a lot of juicy low hanging fruit for people who are good with data and computers. And it's not, it's not all, you know, we're going to make chat bots that can win at chess and also cure cancer. That, I mean, that's, that's cool and it's important and it makes us all really excited. Those but... seem like problems you should split up. Just throwing <laughs> it out there. Like optimize for one of them. <laughs> uh, but you get my point. It's a little uh-huh, bit of, mm-hmm. uh, I, there's, there's a lot of hype out there. Let me put it that way. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I, I think it's similar with, uh, with any robotics article. I like, I remember there was, uh, what was it? I think it was an art. It was an art installation where someone attached a knife to a robotic arm and had it like stabbing in between people's fingers or something like that. 
and that got that article about what wasn't even just a robotics demo exactly it was just an art installation got kind of blown up into this robots are going to take over the world right um so it it's it seems very easy for uh mainstream media to take a very small piece of something like that and extrapolate out and and report on this larger thing not to mention a lot of these things are not at all applicable to machines taking over the world so yeah, and it's just not what most data scientists do in their lives. So if you call up mm. a data scientist and you say, what do you spend your time doing? Chances are very low that they're going to say, I'm working on artificial general intelligence. In other words, robots that will kill us. So a second thing that's uh, that's worth mentioning is that data science is a field that is closely associated with Silicon Valley, but it's not just all tech companies that do... Uh, data science. So there's data scientists at retail companies and construction mm, companies right. and marketing companies. And I don't even know what else, like everything. Medical. Yeah. Like we could just sit here and name industries for a while and they all have data scientists working in them. So it's worth, it's worth keeping that in mind that not every single data scientist is working at a tech company. It's definitely something that I can often forget. I try not to forget this, but it's easy to forget it because I live in Silicon Valley, right? And I work at a tech company. So, so yeah, it's, it's easy to forget how widely applicable this stuff can be. Yes, I think that's, uh, that's a really good way of putting it. Next point is that there's an evolution in the skills that data scientists need. And technical skills are important, but I think they are relatively uh, slowly decreasing in importance relative to the importance of communication and being able to converse with people uh, outside of the data science field. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I think I was thinking about this a little bit and I wonder if part of why this is starting to come through now is because the folks who were being interviewed for this article or people who are you know, probably a few years along in their careers right now, and so are starting to move up the, the career ladder a little bit. They're advancing in their careers. They have to, you know, as you become sort of higher in leadership and management, it becomes proportionately more and more of your job to talk to people mm. and to make decisions versus slinging a lot of code. That's a generalization, but it's, you know, generally true. But I think it actually is a really good point that especially if you're a data scientist in one of these companies that isn't a data science company or a tech company, um, the whole thing that makes you effective is your ability to talk to the people who are doing all the key business functions and to make them better at their jobs or to think of new ways that your, that your company could be improving using data. And so that's not necessarily something that the first batch of data scientists were thinking about a whole ton. They were just trying to figure out how to invent this field. But now there's there's some more kind of upper level buy-in into the idea that data could be transformative. But there's also higher expectations then about data scientists being able to affect that change. And that means working with the people around them. Yeah. And being able to communicate the, the work that they're doing and how it applies. Yeah. It's a huge part of the job. And honestly, it's it's really hard too, because you're very often doing pretty picky technical things that have precise definitions and mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, it's hard to take something complex and make it simple, but a lot of times that's sort of what you have to do as a data scientist who's explaining a model to a non-technical person. That's, that's just a challenging yeah. communication task. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a challenging communication task, and it's also just kind of a separate skill, I would say. Uh, I mean, when I was teaching at Udacity, that was pretty much, that was most of my job, was taking uh, these technical concepts that are somewhat complex and finding some way to, um, to, I mean, ideally you don't want to simplify down the thing that you're explaining and lose fidelity. Ideally, you want to be able to find a way to communicate the intricacies of it, right? Uh, whether that's, uh, via metaphor or by scaffolding someone's learning, of course, metaphors and charts and things that you can see work a lot better than convincing someone in upper management that they need to like, you know, in a scaffolded way, learn the, this thing, then this thing, then this thing before they can understand what you're going to say. Yeah. Yeah. You have to get pretty good at being comfortable with sort of how comfortable sometimes other people that you have to talk to are going to yeah. be with the stuff that you're talking with them about. And the, the term that I think applies here is experts, experts bias where you are so deep down in your world that one, it may be difficult to communicate back outwardly to someone who's a novice or a non-expert in the, in the field. But additionally, you may not want to, at least I know that when I have really productive days where I, you know, put on headphones and I just, I code for several hours at a time and I get into that state of flow, the very last thing I want to do is write a report or write a summary or find a way of communicating what I've been working on in a non-technical way. Yeah, yeah, it is a battle. Another point that they make in this HBR article, and we'll actually talk a little bit more about this in a few minutes, but it's that specialization is becoming more important. And I think that's just a, that's just a characterization of any field that's maturing. But right, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you'll see a lot of the data science in general a few years ago was much more about generalists and cowboys and people who could kind of do a little bit of everything. But now there's more well-defined data science roles on a lot of teams. And, well, we'll just talk a little bit more about what that actually, another article about what that looks like. Um, so let me move on to the last one. Something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast is ethics and pointing out for people who aren't as familiar with this field that ethics and how to deal with things like privacy and data-driven decision-making and uh, bias and all this kind of stuff can be, is a huge part of, of this job and should be an even bigger part of this job. So with that, I thought that was actually a pretty interesting little grab bag of insights that were coming through out of that interview process. Uh, the second thing I wanted to talk about was a uh, post on LinkedIn by Elena Gruel. I think I'm saying her name right. She's the head of data science at Airbnb. And the title All of right, this, yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, kind of Silicon Valley tech company, but has a really big data science team. I think it's over 100 people now. And so oh, this wow. is, yeah. <laughs> I guess um, they have a lot of data to crunch, but. They do, and they have a lot of different you know, aspects of their products that I think lend themselves well to data science and analytics. Mm. And so as the team has been growing and it's been specializing, it sounds like it's been uh, specializing in a few notable ways. And so I, th I really liked the framework that she laid out here about how to think about different kinds of data science roles. 
And it sounds like this is just what they do at Airbnb, but this resonated with me a lot. And that is, uh, she talks about what's called three flavors of data science work. And these are, these are her terms for it. The first is that there's analytics focused data scientists. These are people who specializing in defining and monitoring metrics, creating narratives and stories around the data and building tools. So these are your core business intelligence folks. They're building the tools that other people are using to improve their jobs. Sometimes at Civis, we call them operational data scientists. They're doing some of that key data infrastructure work within, within the company to make the operations and function of the company more efficient, more effective using data. Right. So they're the people who make the charts or make the tools that make the charts. Exactly. From a business perspective, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're a little more business minded in general. Yeah. I think that's a good, that's a good point. And then the second one is they call the algorithms data scientist. These are people who build and interpret algorithms that power data products. So for something like Airbnb, it's actually a key part of their product that there's data science baked into it. So things that are doing recommendations, they're helping you. If you're a host, maybe trying to figure out what would be a good uh, price to ask for your place on a given weekend. So there's potentially very specialized algorithms and machine learning practice and stuff like that, that go into that and being able to build and maintain and interpret those algorithms and, and keep them functioning well in production is, it sounds like the, the key domain of an algorithms data scientist. And then the third one is what she calls the inference data scientist. These are people who work on establishing causal relationships with statistics. So oh, the, interesting. Yeah, the other two huh. come from maybe a little bit more of a potentially like a hard sciences background, engineering background, computer science. A lot of these folks, the inference folks, they come from statistics, they come from social science. So they're trying to understand cause and effect and why things happen. And implicitly, that's because a lot of times with that information, you're going to be making changes to processes or making changes to products or whatever in a way that will influence some kind of outcome that you care about. And that's a whole field of study called inferential statistics or causal inference. And the people who specialize in that, obviously, well, it's, it's a really valuable skill to have. So that's kind of worth having as its own, its own bucket that is distinct from the other two. That's a pretty good way of uh, summarizing it into those three categories. So I guess then the question that I have would be, are there, are these the only three buckets that matter? Like if you, if you live in a bucket, does it have to be one of these buckets or are there, there are things that live kind of on the outside? And then, um, a similar question is, do these buckets overlap at all? Like, are they a Venn diagram kind of a thing or are they uh, mutually exclusive? Oh yeah. I think that's a good, I think, let me take the second one first. I think that's a really good question. I think that, you know, they're a little bit by definition chosen because they don't overlap a lot. But I think if you're a data scientist who's thinking about what kind of work do you enjoy, my Mm. guess is that there might be different mixes of these three that speak to you to varying levels. I bet it's 
comparatively rare to find someone who's 100% one bucket and 0% in the other two because data scientists are interesting folks and there's pieces of all three of those that appeal. So if you're a data scientist, I think it's, well, first of all, decide if you agree with this framework or not. But then secondly, I think it's a good introspective question, kind of what's my blend of these three? And if what you come up with is not that exciting to you, then it tells you a little bit about where you need to work more. Do you want to learn more machine learning? Do you want to learn more statistics? Do you want to learn more tool building skills and some of the business you know, metric computation and that sort of stuff? Because those are all distinct things and being able to talk about them distinctly. And actually, I should add this, appreciate them as all valuable, that just because you're a specialist in one of them doesn't mean the other two aren't important. Interesting. So while the three may not have very much overlap, the people who fill the, the roles might. Like you might have a person who can fill two of those three buckets pretty well and then maybe they decide to specialize in in one of them a little more than the others but the actual role that they're occupying at any given time might not have as much overlap yeah or that if you're putting together a team that your team maybe will have a some kind of balance across all three of them so individuals might be more Uh, weighted to one or the other but she gives some examples about teams that were not working as well as everyone expected them to. And once they looked at the people who are on the team, they were like, oh, it's because you don't have a person here who understands or who's as good at statistics as what you need for what this problem is. So let's get you the the inference person and mm, that I sort see. of thing. Um, and then there's a second question that you asked, are these sort of all there is? And she makes a point that uh, no, as we were talking about it, there's a lot of business and communication and kind of responsibility aspects that make you successful as a data scientist as well. So on a technical side, there's this thing that she calls foundation, which is shared by all the tracks, which is the idea of someone demonstrating ownership and accountability for the quality of their data and their code. So you have to be responsible for the stuff that you do. And then there's the business awareness that's expected to some level for all of them. So are you able to finish your projects successfully and take accountability for their results? Are you able to do things like communicate clearly and you work well with other people, that sort of thing? And then do you build a culture around yourself that makes your environment better by mentoring other people, by teaching your colleagues through... Uh, recruiting, all that kind of stuff, building up your organization. And so those are, I hate to use the term soft skills, but those are the things that fall outside of the strictly technical stuff, but that's really important for your professional success. Okay. So to bring it back to the very first question that I asked, you're a data scientist. What do you actually do every day? I feel like I have a much better idea. You're not building killer robots. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I actually, here's a question. Uh, of those three buckets, where do you, uh, I, I know you're doing some management and some, some people stuff as well, but like, if you were to, if you were to be in one of those three buckets, like, which would be your preference? I would say analytics. So I'm pretty, I'm most interested in tool building mm. or that's, that's what I do a lot of now. I don't know. Most interested is such a weird thing to detangle. 
Um, mm. One of the things I wish I were more interested in is, or had more time to study, that's a better way of putting it, is the inference stuff. And then the algorithms I think are pretty cool too. But yeah, I mean, definitely between the three of them, I'm more of a tool builder than a deep algorithmic engineer or a statistician. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm none of those three, but because <laughs> I don't do data science. But but if I did, I think I would be similar. I I really do like building tools because what you're doing by building tools that non non uh, experts can use is you're empowering people uh, to use the tools that you built to get um, information to like learn things to discover things. I think that's really cool. Yeah, me too. Well, so, hey, if you were a data scientist, I would then make this announcement to you, but I guess I'll just make it to all the data scientists. I guess you can't make the announcement now. (laughs) Um, No, I just wanted to spread the word a little bit. So uh, for my team in Chicago, we actually have a few roles that are open right now. Um, I don't usually talk about professional stuff on here because, I don't know, this is just like not where I talk about my job that much, but... No, there's a lot of really smart, interesting people out there who uh, might be interested in some next gigs. So um, we have our offices in Chicago. So if you're in Chicago or willing to think about moving to the Chicagoland area and brave our winters here, um, <laughs> and you're you're a you know data scientist or soon to be data scientist who's interested in some of the stuff we talk about on this program, then uh, we'll just I'll put a link to our. Uh, a couple of the roles we have open on lineardigressions.com, but just wanted to mention it to everyone since we're cool. We're looking to fill a few spots. Katie, I'm I'm really sorry to disappoint you, but I don't live in Chicago, and uh, I don't think I can brave the winters. I'm too skinny. I get I cold. Th- yeah, you would suffer. I think I you die. should live. <laughs> it. I think you should stay in California. Yeah, there's, there's a reason I'm here. <laughs> um, because if I was born anywhere else, I wouldn't be alive anymore. <laughs> that's probably true. Um, yeah. Well, I feel like you're with us in spirit. Well, so anyway, yeah, if you're if you're listening to this and you're interested in checking us out, then... Uh, if you can hear our voices. <laughs> yeah. Um, come come, give us a ring. We're looking for, for a few more for my, for my squad. Okay. Well, thanks for listening. Should we? Yeah, let's wrap it. And uh, yeah, talk to you later. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.